join our hearts together and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we are truly grateful and humbled and thankful to be joined together in your house today, to have this opportunity to come before your throne, recognizing you for who you are, that you are a good and loving God, and that you are the owner and creator of all things. And it is only by you and through you that we receive good gifts. Father, we acknowledge that, Father, that you are the one who provided us a way to be reconciled with you. Father, we we thank you for your Holy Spirit, which lives in each believer. Father, how he gives us all special gifts in order to serve you and your church. We thank you for the wisdom that he gives us to understand your word, the discernment. And also, Lord, especially for the power to be obedient to your word. Father, most of all, we are thankful and grateful for that one true and special gift, that gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who willingly gave himself as a gift to us to take the burden of the sin upon himself. And, Father, that through that, Lord, we can see forgiveness and receive forgiveness. And thank you for the power of his resurrection, which enables us to have the power to live the lives that you have called us to be. Father, again, we just thank you that we have this opportunity to open your word, to study your word. And, Father, I pray that you will work through your faithful servant, Frank, as he presents your word. And, Father, we thank you for the promise that it will move out in power. And that it will accomplish what you send it out forth. And Father, we pray that that will just happen today. And Father, we just want to lift up those here among us who may have come into this place with burdens on their hearts. Father, we all face trials and tribulations. And Father, we just pray for those who are battling sickness and disease. And, Father, we just pray for them, especially this day, Lord, that you will bring healing into their lives. And that, Father, that you will give them uh, just the strength and the perseverance to, to remain faithful to you through the uncertainty that faces them in the future. Father, be with those who are going through relational problems. Father, we know that you are a God of reconciliation, and we pray for reconciliation today amongst your people. And, Father, for those who are facing financial burdens, Lord, may all of us recognize and realize that you own all things and that through you all things are possible and that, Father, that we can find our true comfort and our true fulfillment and our true contentment only in you. Lord, again, thank you for Grace on the Ashley and the wonderful work that you are doing here. Continue to mold us and shape us into the church that you want us to be and help us to be bold in our witness that we may be truly be a light in this place and that we can shine that light into this darkness that is around us. Father, again, we just thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. 
And we ask these things in your son's holy and precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen. great diplomat and evangelical Christian, Dutchman, um, prime minister of the Netherlands back in the early 20th century, Abraham Kuyper said these words, and this Quite possibly his most famous quote, although he's got many great quotes. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. And that includes death. That's his too. We're in John chapter 11, if you turn there in your Bibles. Deals with the death of Lazarus. Actually deals more with the death of Lazarus than it deals with the resurrection of Lazarus. And this is our, just to catch you up, this is our third sermon on um, this Chapter Pastor Greg preached the first two um, <clears throat> last year. Pastor Greg preached an overview with um, and gave us the cast of characters in this. I thought that was sort of a joke. Last year was two weeks ago. Um, that fell flat. Sorry. Um, but he filled us in on who this, the cast of characters in this chapter are. We've got this family, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. He's dealing with his disciples in this chapter as well, certainly dealing with um, the Jews who are friendly to Lazarus and Martha and Mary, as well as the Jews who are antagonistic toward him, who quite possibly show up at this funeral also. <clears throat> then last week, he dealt with roughly the first 16 verses and that, that, that interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And today, we'll at least begin talking about his interaction with Martha, Lazarus' sister. Let me begin by reading verse 1, and then I'll skip to verse 17 for our text today. Verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And then verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. 
So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Hallelujah. (laughs) Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That's the text today. I would like to get through it. We might not. We have a journey of uh, a couple of days, uh, a day or two. It depends on how you chart this out. But Jesus has walked this period of time, at least a day, a day's walk, um, with disciples who are full of speculation based on what we talked about last week. Chances are they asked a number of questions to him to continue this process about let's go, uh, let's go take care of Lazarus. Lazarus has died. For your sake, I was glad that I was not there. What do you mean you weren't there so that you may believe? So what's going on, Jesus? I'm sure they have these questions. I mean, what do they talk about when they walk at least a day together? They may have questions about this, questions that Jesus knows really won't be cleared up until the resurrection takes place. He may have mentioned his own coming resurrection. He'd done that before. Even the raising of Lazarus is just a pale reflection of the glory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think these first few verses here in our text, starting with 17, are just sort of forming... Uh, introduction to this entire interaction with the sister Martha. And we first see the, the time of his return. Uh, just more editorial comment, which is important from John, um, that displays the, 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 the power of this upcoming miracle. He's been in the tomb four days. If that doesn't show us the power of this coming miracle, I'm not sure what would. One thing is proved by this verse. He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. There's one thing that's proved by this. Lazarus was dead. Dead, dead. Not in a trance. Not in a swoon, not in a coma. A person lying in a grave for four days, all reasonable people would admit was what? Dead. 
I asked you a question. I feel like Pastor Greg there for a minute. He'd raised other people from the dead. Jairus' daughter. You remember that? She had just died. Um, he raised the son of the widow of Nain. Uh, he was actually being carried to the grave. So he had really just died because typically it was done on the day the person died. Skeptics have over the millennia um, question Jesus raising them from the dead because it was so close to their death. You know, maybe they were just in a coma or maybe, maybe he just resuscitated them. Or so you, you read the commentaries, they still do that. But four days, you're not going to question that one. Not a bit. Most extraordinary case of all the resurrections is the one of Lazarus. He was dead. And if we number those days, um, day one through four, we can sort of reconstruct what happened um, on the first day. Lazarus was getting worse. Um, and so Mary and Martha sent somebody to tell Jesus that Lazarus was sick. Chances are by the time that person got there to tell Jesus that Lazarus was sick, Lazarus was already dead. But Jesus knew that. And that, you know, that's the first day. And they put him in the grave. They buried him the first day. Um, And then he decided to wait two days. Remember, we went through that. He waited two days um, before he headed back. And then the fourth day, he traveled. To come back. Quick burials were customary in that hot climate. So he was buried on that day. Wasn't, there was no embalming. There were these spices and things used just to kind of deal with the smell of it. I'm not sure. They had to be powerful spices. Warm climate. Um, so... By day four, decomposition of Lazarus' body was in full force. I could go on with detail. I actually read some about a body decomposing, and I was going to share those lovely thoughts with you this morning. Just Google it. Another possible factor is uh, uh, in these four days is that there, there, there is uh, a Jewish tradition that claimed that the soul hovered around the body for three days, no more than three days. After three days, reentry into the body was not possible. It, Rabbinic belief. Um, sl- uh, slightly later date that, that this was this writing comes in the third century. So we don't really know if this belief had already taken root 
in Jesus' day, but quite possibly it had taken root in Jesus' day. It's not been attested to until about the third uh, century. Leviticus Rabbah, a rabbinical commentary, um, says that the soul hovers over the body of the deceased person for the first three days, intending to re-enter it, but soon as it sees its appearance change, that decomposition has set in, it leaves. I don't blame the soul for doing that, actually. <laughs> At that point, death is irreversible. Unless you're Jesus. And together with verse 30, 39, it, it, it just shows us that the awesomeness of what's about to take place. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. I think the King James says, he stinketh. <laughs> For he's been dead four days. Wow. So that's the time frame of the situation. And we have the location where Jesus returns to for, uh, in uh, verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem. Uh, so it was easy to visit the home of Martha and Mary uh, if you lived in Jerusalem. It was really less than two miles. Uh, the Mount of Olives separates Bethany and Jerusalem. Uh, and, the, and the custom was, it's much like our customs today, that where, you know, friends and family would gather at such a time as this, where grieving is going on. We sort of insulate it with funeral homes now. But it's somewhat similar. It's just a small village on Jericho Road. Um, it was also quite possibly renowned because it was the Judean residential uh, headquarters of Jesus. So it could be people hear about Lazarus dying. Well, with, now we know Jesus is going to show up. Let's go out there and see if we can see what takes place with him. seems, too, that Lazarus was well known in Jerusalem. He, he quite possibly was a man of means. Uh, he was buried either in a private tomb or he was he was, he was buried in a cave. We just, uh, I was in some catacombs outside of Rome just um, a few months back, and 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 you know they they just dig shelves in in these caves and and they lay a body on a shelf. Pretty much how it happened. Could be have been like that. Um, he may have been prominent, too. We have some hint of that because in chapter 12, um, well, look at verse 2 of chapter 11. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, John tells us that before the, before the event even takes place. And Pastor Greg pointed that out. That event takes place in chapter 12. Um, and yet we know that it was expensive perfume. 
It could be there was a man of means because of that. People from Jerusalem came to visit the family. Um, there's another issue, too, that Jesus was, was taking quite a risk to come so close to Jerusalem. That's the location. That's the situation he returned to. Um, there, are, there are rules for ceremonial mourning um, in the Jewish faith. Uh, the suggestion is that and, and many of the Jews, at the, verse 19, many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And then when Mary hears that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. She apparently left uh, Mary seated in the house to deal with all those people or even to be engulfed in her own grief. We don't really know what's going on with Mary at this point. But a number of friends had come to gather and to comfort them. When anybody died, friends and neighbors came together. That happens today, doesn't it? They came together for several days. Now, fortunately, today, a crowd doesn't show up at your house and just park there for several days. Uh, but that's what happened back at this time. Quite possibly for 30 days. They're well-meaning friends. Come from Jerusalem. Many had come from the little village of Bethany right where they were. And as we tend to do, particularly women tend to do, they brought food with them, thank God, so that the sisters wouldn't have to provide for themselves, although we know Martha already would have loved to cook for all those people. They descended on the home for the funeral and for a few days after. Tables, tables in the home were full of food. People sitting around inside, outside, reminiscing about Lazarus' life. There were devout people. There was times of prayer, singing of psalms from time to time. A psalm that I use frequently at a funeral might be one that they actually sang back then, Psalm 73, at least part of it, verse 23 and following. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Could be they sang that. And then this, there's the cemetery, is wherever he was buried. And I suspect that once, in, once or several times in those four days, the sisters and their friends had returned to the tomb to be closer to their brother for a while, to pay respects and to mourn and to pray. <clears throat> I mean, we do that. I, I did a funeral last Saturday. 
and a, a burial at Live Oak. And right after the burial, I walked over to Judy's parents' grave. Not to mourn and pray, but I, I did walk over there. We do visit them from time to time. I don't know why we do it. If I think long and hard about it, it's kind of silly, but we do. And in those days, there there were these professional mourners. They had gathered as well. Um, They might be the ones that uh, were mentioned in 33 when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. Those might have been the professional mourners that had come to the house. It was a way to help them grieve. It might have been a way to empty a grieving heart by having others join in the grief, to prepare for a life, our lives, that are going to go on after all of this. And the picture here of Martha being more active, you heard that Jesus was coming and she headed out. The picture of Martha being more active and more aggressive than Mary is in complete agreement with what we already know about Martha, right? From Luke 10. Martha's active and stirring and busy and demonstrative and cannot wait. So she runs and doesn't even tell her sister Jesus is down the road. She just heads out there to go. Meet Jesus, and Mary is quiet and contemplative and meek and gentle. That's the picture we have. I don't think the Bible tells us this, but <clears throat> seems to be a birth order factor here. To me, Martha's the older one. Wouldn't you say that? Sort of OCD, um, you know, very active. And uh, very busy, wants to make sure everything's right. And, and the responsible one, she's taking control. And the younger one, Mary, is a little more laid back. I may be wrong about that, but I'll meet them one day and I'll check it out. <laughs> we certainly see that in the other story. When Martha comes out and really rebukes Jesus because Mary's doing her devotions with Jesus... Martha's slaving in the kitchen. This is Luke 10. And, and she comes and she tells Jesus, Hey, Jesus, I'm slaving in the kitchen. Mary's not doing a thing but just sitting here listening, listening to you. This is a paraphrase, by the way. And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha. You remember when your mother said your name twice? I think Mary had the spiritual advantage back in that passage, but I do do believe Martha does here. You've seen believers who've been so crushed by their affliction that they can't even function. That's so sad when you see that in believers. That might be the case with Mary. Their profession of faith actually suffers because they're so crushed by grief. 
And what's interesting here, depending on the scenario, is that Mary missed out on hearing Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. So I think Mary had the spiritual advantage in Luke 10, and Martha probably has it here. So in my book, they're even. Not in this book, but in my book, they're even. That brings up another point. One more quick point, a little side road, and we might get to the text. People are different. It's really why I wanted to bring that out between these two sisters. People are different. Believers are different. And believers react to things differently, especially as far as their temperaments are concerned, but it also has to do with their spiritual maturity. But people react to things differently. And the church, we must make allowances for those differences. We must give grace. When a difference in temperament just seems strange to us. It's not like me. They aren't like us. They're quiet believers. They're active believers. And the church is at her best when she's made up of all the different temperaments, all the differences that God created in us. When we're using all the variety of gifts that we have, that's when the church is at her best. The church needs Mary's. The church needs Martha's. The church needs Frank's. And the church needs Greg's. We're very, very different. But together we're stronger. One of the reasons we became Grace on the Ashley. Two churches with a variety of gifts doing things separately were much weaker than a church combined doing it together. (coughs) We can accomplish more together than we can separately. Like I say, I can't wait to meet these sisters. So Martha gets excited. Maybe she forgets to tell Mary. Uh, Who knows? She heads down the Jericho Road to meet him. And what Martha wisely realized was that amidst all the human expressions of sympathy that's going on now, all all the people who are gathering around them, comforting, caring for them, loving on them, feeding them, amid all the... The the expressions of human sympathy, nothing, nothing would take the place of the presence of Jesus Christ. And so she runs down that road. He alone could answer all the grief of her heart. And he does that. He does that clearly. And so we see the greeting Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. 
But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. It's her conversation with Jesus. Here's another encounter Jesus has with a different woman. Just to see the grace that he gives to each other in chapter 2. He has this encounter with his mother, actually, at the wedding. Remember? Um, In chapter 4, he has this encounter with the Samaritan woman. In chapter 8, he has uh, the encounter with the woman caught in adultery. And now he has this encounter with Martha. And in in every instance, despite all their differences, all their cultural differences... Um, all their belief differences, all their character differences, their, their, their temperaments are very, very different. In all of these instances, we see Jesus react with compassion and respect toward women. Even when Martha says, Jesus, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. In the very beginning, she has a belief that Jesus is Israel's Messiah. And though she has faith in that, her faith is confused and it needs to grow. We see that in this passage. I imagine, I don't know how long um, Lazarus was sick, but... I can imagine these two sisters caring for her, their brother and, and thinking or even saying to each other, Oh, I wish Jesus was here. Jesus would, was here. Things would be okay. I wish he was here. And then he doesn't come. He waits. And their brother dies. Quite possibly we see some blame here. We don't really know the tone. In a sense, she seems to be rebuking Jesus. Although, you know, this isn't the first time. So, she's good at it. Someone said, if. If looks back. If you'd been here. If if you had been here. If looks back, looking back doesn't help anything. If emphasizes selfishness in our lives, especially in this case, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you'd been here, I wouldn't have been going through this grief right now. So if emphasizes selfishness in our lives, and we use it all the time. And if also seeks an explanation or excuses, quite possibly in this case, shaking our fist at God. But God doesn't owe us an explanation. It's a perfect example of the fact that Wonderful example, the fact that 
more than seeing her brother made well, or more than seeing her brother brought back to life, Martha needed to see the glory of Jesus. She thought she needed a brother well. She thought she needed her brother alive. What she really needed was to see the glory of Jesus Christ. Same thing is true back in chapter 4. The the official who came to Jesus and said, My son is sick. My son is dying. I need you to come and be with him. More than that man needed to see his son made well, he needed to see the glory of Jesus. We do see something of the impulsiveness of Martha in this case, a mixture of emotions. We see her passion mixed maybe with a bit of rebuke. She's passionate. I wish you had been here. Why didn't you come any sooner? You might have prevented my brother's death. There's a passion in that. But in the same words, we see love, confidence, and devotion creeping out in her words. I wish you'd been here. We love you so much. We depend on so entirely on your love. And we felt if you'd been here, everything would be just fine. We see faith, too. I wish you'd been here. I believe you could have healed my brother. I believe you could have kept my brother from death. But then there's a sense of unbelief at the bottom of all this as well. And why would I say that? Because for Martha... She seems to forget that the bodily presence of Jesus was really not necessary. (laughs) Oh, you waited. You wasted too much time. You didn't come. You waited two days. He's been in the grave four days. As if time mattered to God. A day is as a thousand years. Does time matter to God? And then she said, if you had been here... As if he couldn't have raised him from the dead there across the Jordan where he was. Place doesn't matter. Not to God. God can do his work anywhere. And she shows some weakness and faith in the resurrection power. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. That's a confusing sentence. Some weak faith in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. In the middle of all this despairing situation, in the middle of the pessimism of her life, there is just this slim ray of hope. Maybe she recalls some teaching Jesus had, had, had earlier uh, taught about his relationship with his Father. So maybe what Jesus could not accomplish in this situation. He could ask his father to accomplish in this situation. That seems to be what she's saying. Well, he's dead now. I know you can't do anything about that, but I know you're tight with God, and so maybe you can ask him 
I get the joke. Some people say that about me. Typically pagans that are friends of mine who go through trials. I know you're a pastor. You're probably tight with the man upstairs. Could you say a little prayer for me? In many ways, that's quite possibly what Martha's saying here. William Hendrickson describes her tortured soul. He says, In the heart of Martha, the darkness of grief and the light of hope were engaged in deadly combat. Sometimes her lips gave expression to her near despair, then again to her optimism. Here's a woman deeply emotional. Her soul is overcome by grief over the death of a brother whom she loved very dearly. But here is also a disciple of Jesus, her soul filled with reverence for her Lord. Here is, consequently, a heart stirred to its very depths and swaying between grief and hope. So how do we take these words? But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. As she continues in her being sanctified and, and the continuing in faith in her life, and as Jesus brings her along slowly through this process, maybe she means even though you weren't here in time to help, I still believe God grants your requests. And then Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. He means one thing, she hears something else. Small little piece just moves her along just a little bit. He's growing Martha's faith. He wants to refine and strengthen her Faith. He does that in your life. He does that in my life. He does that because she's grieving. She's hurt. There's a lot going on in this way, in, in in her life, and 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 we we know the promise that he that we have from the Father in Isaiah 42 verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break. So he brings her along slowly. It's also intentionally vague, I think. Jesus seems to be, at least in this point, uh, confessing the theology of the Pharisees. Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't. He seems to be confessing that. But we know that he means something else. Because we have the rest of the story. Martha didn't. And it could be, too. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Guess what? She's already heard that from many of the Orthodox mourners who are in her house. Many of those ladies who came to visit them and comfort them and take care of them, they've said the same thing because they believed in the resurrection. Your brother will rise again. Don't worry. So Jesus is saying the same thing that she's already heard many times. One day he's going to rise again. But Jesus has so much more to reveal. She understood the resurrection. She understood Daniel 12, verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. 
that same chapter, verse 13. But go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of your days. She knew Job. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall be old and not another. She knew Isaiah 26, verse 19. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Her confession is true. I know. I know he'll rise again. She's got the future resurrection down. That means her doctrine is correct, but her doctrine on the future resurrection is far off and disconnected to what Jesus is about to do and what he's talking about right now. Apparently, her... Her belief involves just simply the hope of a resurrection to God's judgment throne. Not some gracious provision, because we haven't gotten to John 14 yet. This hasn't been declared yet, but not some gracious provision that Jesus at one day will be going to prepare a place for you in her father's house where there are many mansions. And so Martha's much like us. And sadly, we have the advantage of the entire story. We're still like her. She could not grasp the truth that the one who stood before her held the keys to life and death. That in the one who stood before her dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So she was seeing through a glass darkly, only in part, as Paul tells us. She has a strong faith, but her faith is mingled with some unbelief as well. Rarely, rarely do we find a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Rarely would we find that in this room today. A believer who does not need that prayer, I believe, help thou my unbelief. For all of us, just like Martha, there may be true faith and love toward Christ and yet much ignorance mixed up in it as well why we need preaching and teaching of the Word. That's why preaching and teaching of the Word is so important. You've been in churches with unlearned preachers. You've been in churches that were led by unsaved church leaders. You've been in churches that were led by people who had been in Sunday school 40, 50, 60 years and still didn't know the Bible for some reason. That always confused me. But Jesus is bringing Martha's faith along. What if he had left her in her ignorance? 
What if your pastors stand up here and provide pithy little ten-minute talks, leave you in your ignorance? What about that? The Lord is actively, through His Word, growing her faith and growing your faith as well. why spiritual growth is such a priority in our church. The Lord is deliberately ambiguous about raising Lazarus. And Martha doesn't seem to understand that he's talking about raising him like now. She doesn't say, I know, I feel confident. Verse 27, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And say, I know you can do it. He says, your brother will rise again. And then she said in verse 24, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection. She doesn't say, I know you can raise him. There's some unbelief here. She doesn't say, I know, I feel confident that you can... Take care of this matter. You just said he'll rise again. So be it today. She doesn't say that. Maybe there was a glimmer of hope that Jesus would do something. She doesn't say, I know you will. J.C. Ryle says, general faith is easier than particular faith. That's so true. Someone called this a masterpiece of planned ambiguity. At one level, Jesus' words, your brother will rise again, could be taken no more than just a a devout, orthodox view that the Pharisees had that he'd rise again. Just to comfort her, just a reminder, he'll rise again. Drawing her attention to the resurrection that's at the end. Death won't have... The last word, because at the last day he'll rise again. It'll take place. Your brother will be restored to bodily life. That's the way she understands what Jesus is saying. But on another level, Jesus is promising so much more. And that point escapes Martha completely. She believed what she believed out of ignorance. So the faith she had, because of her ignorance, the faith she had in Jesus limits who Jesus is. Do you get that? That's why that growth is so important. The faith you have limits who Jesus is in your life. We do the same thing. We believe He's able to do all He says He will do. Yes, God, I believe that through Your Son You'll be able to do everything that's needed, everything that's necessary. But You won't do it now. And You won't do it here. 
Yes, God, I believe you'll restore the life of my family member who's lost. Yes, God, I believe that you'll take care of our church that struggles day in and day out. Yes, Lord, I believe that you will 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 will, will save that neighbor down the street. Yes, Lord, I believe that that you will heal my family member, but not here and not now. At least we don't expect them to. And I find in your life, because you say this to me, that you're genuinely surprised when God acts. Look what God did. That's what you say to me. And I think, why are you surprised? He is who he declares he is, or he isn't. That's the decision you have to make. He is who he says he is, or he isn't. Say yes to that truth today. He is. You can trust him. Let's pray. In a moment, we'll sing a song. During that song, if you need prayer with someone or you're grieving someone, you need comfort. Um, You have questions about this portion of this message we'll complete next week. You make your way to the back. Our elders will be back there to receive you, to pray with you, to spend time with you. Jesus encounters this woman, Martha, whom he knows. They're good friends. He's bringing her faith along. My prayer is that the truth of his word today might have brought you along just a little further so that you might trust him to be who he says he is. Would you do that? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for your abundance. Thank you for saving our souls. We pray, O Lord, that your church might be bold and proclaiming who you are. That even as we ask questions, even as we struggle with our faith, that we may dig deeper. That the growth in our lives and ultimately in our congregation might be such that we stand firm no matter what comes our way. What grief, what trial, what trouble. Because we trust God. Wholeheartedly. For our good and for your glory. Hear our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.